to say we don't want to offend visitors or it's only about the gospel, that's kind of a, there's kind of a logical dichotomy there that doesn't seem to fit because if, if the Bible's about the gospel, then preach it. And if we preach it, it may offend somebody. Welcome to Life in Christ, a podcast of The Landing Church. My name is Brent Nelson. I'm one of the pastors here. With me is Paul Anderson, one of the elders at The Landing, a dear friend and brother in Christ and a teacher among us. Paul, you've taught uh, Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, and now you're teaching with several of the other elders, Wayne Grudem's Christian ethics. Welcome to the Life in Christ podcast. Thank you. And, And tell me, what's one of the highlights of teaching this material to our people? Learning and growing. Yeah, <laughs> you're gaining. Learning and growing, yeah. Good, good. I'm glad it's been a blessing for you. Yeah, And I love it when people come up to me after class and say, you know, you said, and then how about... Yeah. I love those conversations too. Good. Yeah. Well, and I'm happy to tell you that I have the privilege of hearing from others who've gone through the class and they're enjoying them tremendously, your teaching and the teaching of the other elders. Out of our six elders, four have taken on the task of studying different portions of Wayne Grudem's book, Christian Ethics, which we can highly recommend to you. If you want to buy the resource, get your hands on it. Even some of the chapters are available online at at little or no cost. But buy the whole book, have it as a resource, read it through. It's easy reading, although it's quite comprehensive and in-depth, but repays careful reading with great spiritual profit. Wouldn't you say, Paul? Absolutely. And I want to reiterate, it's it's quite easy reading. Mm -hmm. He's not 22 feet over our head. He's He's talking heart level, and it's good. Well, in the first part, we talked about the very basis of Christian ethics, and we said that was the character of God. Correct. That's the observation that that Dr. Grudem makes, and we're reiterating. We said the very moral goodness of God is the basis, the foundation. It's the standard, but more than just the standard, God's not up in heaven saying, look at how perfect I am, and you need to be as perfect as I am, but you're a mere created being. It's not a setup for failure. You'll hear lots of people approach God that way. They'll say, he seems unkind and and unfair because he's God. And then he says, I'm holy, be holy exactly as I am, but you're not God. You don't have the ability, the strength, the infinite power, the infinite knowledge, the infinite resources. So it seems like a setup for failure. But that's not exactly what we're saying, nor is what we understand the scripture to be saying. God says, I'm the standard and basis for your ethical holiness. I'm also the power. I'm also the help. I'm the one who makes you a new creation. I take out your heart of stone, which resists me, and I give you a heart of flesh, which delights in me. And I cause you to walk in my statutes, as he says. I'm the one who by my spirit dwells within you to guide you and empower you so that Jesus can say in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. But under the spirit of Jesus, Paul can write to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So God isn't in heaven saying, I'm waiting for you to climb up to me. He's saying, oh no, by my son, I have come in the flesh to you to die on the cross for your unholiness and to grant you my righteousness by faith and to dwell by my spirit within you to enable you to grow in the grace and knowledge of me, your Lord and Savior. That's that's a glorious application of the gospel. Now let's turn from talking about God's moral character being the basis of our ethical living 
to what is the source? What does Dr. Grudem say is the source of our Christian ethics? Yeah, Dr. Grudem real unapologetically says the Bible is our source. God's word is the source for the Christian moral ethics that God wants us to embrace, employ in our lives. God didn't simply say, here I am, perfect, holy, exalted, mm -hmm. to be glorified, figure it out. Right. He didn't do that. Right. In his grace and mercy, he said all of what I just said. And then he said, and here's my written word that you can go to, you can, you can study, you can look at it, you can, you can let it be absorbed in your, your heart as you read through it, you can learn more about who I am, how I, how I interact with man, mankind, humankind, and, and how you can walk through life as a result of that. Let me ask you a practical question. There are lots of verses in the Bible that command something. Love one another, serve one another, be patient. Lots of commands in the Bible. Those are pretty clear verses to read that help guide us in how we're to live. What about the stories of the Bible? What about the story of Joseph or David? How do those help us learn God's character and his ways? As you just pointed out, all the, all the uh, examples you were talking about, those are real prescriptive, but the stories fill in some of the void, some of the, some of the unfilled parts of the picture that say, I wonder how that happens. When I pray for this, why don't I see that? When I, when I have this struggle in my life, why doesn't God intervene and do this or that? Well, because he's got a bigger picture he's working on. And just like Joseph, just like Daniel, just like Jonah, he's got a, he's got a plan that he's going to execute, and he's going to do it in his time, for his glory, in his way, to accomplish his purposes. Boy, that's so helpful. Here's another example that just comes to my mind, and it seems like it might be helpful for folks who might be listening right now and asking, how do I read the the narrative stories of the Bible and glean and learn God's character from them in order that I might make ethical decisions that please him. In the end of Proverbs, there's something called the Proverbs 31 woman, where there's a description about this woman who, who is, is uh, virtuous and industrious and excellent and bears a beautiful character. In the original Hebrew assembly of the Old Testament books, the very next book of the Bible following Proverbs 31 was the book of Ruth. Ruth doesn't follow Proverbs in the current arrangement of our Old Testament, but in the Hebrew Old Testament it did. Meaning, Ruth is the Proverbs 31 woman. Ruth is held up in a narrative story, a woman coming out of Moab, receiving favor under Boaz, being married and becoming the ancestor to, the, to King David through several generations. She's the Proverbs 31 woman. So here's the command, Proverbs 31, 10 to the end of the chapter, verse 10 to the end of the chapter. And then here's the example in Ruth, both a wonderful way of learning God's ethics. And I think now I'd re-answer the question. I'm tracking with you a little tighter right now, Brent, I think. But yeah, with, with Joseph, with Daniel, it's kind of like, these are the principles God laid out, and here's how they did it. Thank you, Lord. I mean, yeah. <laughs> thank you, Lord, for all the many helps you give us to yeah. walk in, in your commands. Yeah. When you think about, especially passages of Scripture that, that Dr. Grudem assembled together to help us understand how the Bible is the, the very source of our Christian ethics, what passages sort of stuck out to you as you were teaching this, Paul? In Psalm 119, verses 1 through 6, we're told, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, who but walk in his ways. 
You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently, all that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. That's Psalm 119, 1 through 6. I think that so beautifully calls us to walk in the law of the Lord, to walk in the way of the Lord, to to go back and, and I'm going to say, measure our walk with the Lord side by side with what the written word of God says. That's right. That's right. And then the immediate thought, uh, well worth mentioning, it's coming to the mind of many who are hearing us right now. They're saying, what's the provision when I have failed to walk in the obedience to the scriptures, the law of the Lord, the statutes as they're written? And the swift answer in both Old and New Testaments is, I'm a merciful God, slow to anger, and abounding yeah. in steadfast love and kindness. And I've provided my son as the, as the uh, costly payment for your law-breaking and the one who fulfilled my law perfectly. Isn't it glorious to think about Christ as the one on our behalf who fulfilled all the law of God flawlessly? Right. And that flawless obedience is imputed to us by faith. So that God looks upon Paul and Brent and Cole, who is our able engineer here, and any one of you listening who trusts in Jesus, he looks upon you with the same favor with which he looks upon his son as a lawkeeper. And that then is the foundation to turn back to God and say, out of your great love for me, Lord, I do want to follow you. I do want to obey your statutes. I do want to honor you in my private thought life, in my public speech, in my actions, and in what I refrain from doing. It's a wonderful motive. It invites gospel conversation. There's another passage of Scripture often comes to mind when we think about the Bible as the source uh, of our Christian ethics. It's the famous passage Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All Scripture, and there Paul, I think, is talking about how the Old Testament and everything that the Old Testament said about Christ and how Christ fulfills the Old Testament and everything said about Christ in the Gospels. I think Paul has a broad view there, not just the Old Testament, as some might argue. I think Paul uh, talks about the Gospels and other things written prior to his writing a later letter like 2 Timothy as all Scripture. There's some evidence that he sees that as a large category of everything that we would call Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out, so it's exhaled by God. It's part of who he is and it reflects his character, and therefore it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And that's really another way of talking about Christian ethics, isn't it? That's correct. Training in righteousness. That the man of God, the believer in Jesus Christ, the man or woman who trusts in Christ, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there's an idea of completeness now, anticipating a full and final completeness in glory, and equipped now for every good work. So it's a big statement, but it's a true statement. Everything we need to know about life and godliness is contained in the Bible. Exactly, yeah. The, the, the phrase training in righteousness catches my attention, Brent. Training in righteousness. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Mm -hmm. We've already covered that. Mm -hmm. We won't be able to build on that or, or make it better, but God's Word, the Word of God that's breathed out by God, trains us in that righteousness. It instructs us how to press into, how to work with, how to, how to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in our lives by, by pressing into his righteousness. So good. When we talk about 
the objections that might occur. What are some of the objections people have made against the Bible being our supreme source for Christian ethics? There are two that Gruda mentioned that jumped out at me when I was looking at his material. He actually lists four, Hmm. but two of them jumped at me. One was that some oppose frank exposition of the scriptures because they don't want to offend Hmm. visitors Mm -hmm. or people people who aren't part of the the normal... uh, the every day, the every Sunday worship family, but God shows us in the New Testament how Jesus uh, wants His bride to be instructed, and there was no holding back when the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches, the various churches in his letters. He didn't hold back. He wasn't a, if, if there happened to be somebody there that wasn't part of the body. Oh well, here's what God's <laughs> telling you today, folks. Sure. You know, yeah. And I think that's that's something we have to take careful assessment of: is are we fearing man more than God? Or are we saying, this is what God has for his family, this is what God has for his those that have hope in Christ, and are we going to embrace that or not? And if we say, yes, we've been trained in righteousness, he is our righteousness, we desire to have that righteousness flourish in our bodies, in our minds, in our spirits, in our, env- in our whole environment, then we have to be in a position to say, this is the word of God. This is the word of God. And it's profitable for all these things we talked about. Well said. We ourselves, as teachers, podcast conversation partners, writers, leaders, we don't want to be ourselves offensive. No. We want to, with with grace and with humility and even with tears sometimes, say we understand that what this might sound like is painful to you, it might be jarring, it might be offensive, but it's the Word of God. It is good, as we said in the previous conversation, it comes from the very goodness of our God, and therefore it is good for you whether it seems that way for the moment to you or not. It is good. I've found, I don't know about you, but I've found growth happens in my life when I'm slow to question the offense I'm taking and I just let it dwell there. And I let the Lord do his work in my life through a possible offense I'm receiving from his word or from some presentation of his word. That's when there's questions that come, and that's when the Spirit seems to be working, and I go back to the Scriptures and I start seeking him and the things that he teaches, and I find growth happens in my life. That's good, and I, I want to add another little yeah. perspective on that from a different angle perhaps, but I've found in my life when I'm blessed to sit under powerful teaching, when I find offense in my life, the greater that offense is, the more it drives me to seek what God has to say about it. Why am I getting so concerned about this right now? Is it because the word being spoken is errant or because I'm not lining up with God's word? Great question. Yeah. What a wonderful way to apply that. What are some other objections that Grudem identifies? Some would say that the Bible is about the gospel, not about how we should live. And he goes back to that 2 Timothy 316 passage again that no, all scriptures breathe out of God and profitable for all these things we talked about. Mm-hmm. So he he counteracts that and 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 takes a strong position against that that no, we're we're to embrace the entire word of God as what God wants us to have for instruction. Right. You know, I want to go back just a bit too, because I think there's a, a point that some people, if they if they say that the Bible's about the gospel, they say that we don't want to offend people. We can't just whitewash over. We can't just ignore the fact that God has told us 
in Acts 17 that the time in the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. All people everywhere. And in other scripture we find God saying that there is no excuse. He's made himself manifest from day one till 2023 and all points in between. He's made himself manifest. No one will have an excuse to say, but not me, because it's there. So to say we don't want to offend visitors or it's only about the gospel, that's kind of a, there's kind of a logical dichotomy there that doesn't seem to fit because if, if the Bible's about the gospel, then preach it. And if we preach it, it may offend somebody. That's right. And they may come back later if if we didn't preach it, as you're rightly exhorting us to, and we soft-pedaled it or even ignored it or changed it, yeah. as some are tempted to do, they would have a right in that moment of judgment later to say, why didn't you tell me the truth when you had the opportunity? Yeah. Why did you hide from me what you knew to be true? Yeah. There's a kind of a cruelty embedded in the cleverness that some are tempted by to modify or subvert or dismiss the harder sayings of Scripture. Yeah. That's a, that ultimately is a setup for uh, injustice and ultimate pain. One of the other objections that often occurs when people are beginning with the idea that the Bible in and of itself is our supreme source for Christian ethics, they might counter that by saying, there's so many different interpretations of the Bible, how do we know which one is right? On questions of marriage or on questions of when life begins or on questions of sexuality or on questions of handling money or questions of our speech or our thought life or questions of other debated nature, how do we know whose interpretation is right? Well, one of the answers to that is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. No prophecy, or one could say no passage of Scripture, was ever produced by the will of man. So while men were used to write down what they were inspired to write, it wasn't by their will that they crafted these things. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So there's an understanding of what we talk about as the inspiration of Scripture. Correct. Men are carried along by the Holy Spirit, and what they are writing is actually God's words. And, and I think we can be extremely confident that the Greek and Hebrew of the original writings were well translated into very trustworthy, reliable translations into English and Spanish and many other translations of various languages around the world. Everyone who has a reliable translation can say, I'm holding and reading the Word of God. In other words, there's a dual authorship. There's the authorship of the original authors, but they were carried along by God to write what they wrote. So not everything they wrote was Scripture, but what they wrote as Scripture is assembled together and it has a coherent a unity to it. The Old and the New Testaments affirm each other, they confirm each other, and each passage of Scripture bears the mark of being Holy Scripture. So ultimately, a brand new believer can read the Bible for themselves and understand it. Open my eyes, Lord, right. to behold wonderful things from your law. Even an unbeliever can read it. And of course, there are scriptures that say the devil himself knows what the scripture says yeah. and reads it accurately, and he shudders. Yeah. Not because he loves it, not because he's worshiping God, but because he hates it. So the knowing and the understanding of scripture is, is easier than people like to make it seem. It is. It is. I, I find a couple of scriptures that I, I like to think about in that regards is that there are scriptures that are directly written, directly spoken to children. 
to children. Right. Now, I, I have to confess that um, when I read through the Old Testament, I get to the kings of Israel. Yeah. I, I literally had to make a chart for myself. Sure. Because who's who is this king? Who is that king? You know, right. who followed who and who did what? But it gets complicated sometimes looking at that that type of material. But the Bible clearly says in in uh, Ephesians, mm-hmm. children obey your parents. Well, right. who's he speaking to? Children. He's speaking to children. <laughs> sure. You know, right. In uh, Deuteronomy, he says, "Teach them diligently to your children." Yes. He didn't tell them take out the children's version and teach them. He said. Take these words and teach them to your children. Amen. You know, so so it's clear. It's clear. The the word of God is clear. He also says in John ten verse twenty seven, famously, Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me." Right. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. You speak, and we hear you talking, and That's we right. know exactly where you want us to go. Yeah. Any other thoughts, Paul, that come to mind when you think about the clarity of Scripture and its suitability for being the source of all our Christian ethics? I think I would I would add one comment about. God has given us clear instruction on Christian ethics in every area that's important to God. God has given us freedom in numerous areas to apply within the framework of what his word says is proper and just to do as we will do in the, in the community we, we coexist in. We don't live in a stringent world where we have moral standards so tight that you must never do this or do that unless it violates the Word of God. I could think of examples, I don't know if I want to go there right now, but there's, there's examples in some communities where the length of dress that the, somebody has to wear, the, the way you cut your hair for a man, perhaps, or things like that. Or you know, God's given us that liberty, yeah. and we, we praise Him and thank Him for that. That shows His diverseness, it shows His, his love for His people. Right. We don't want to go further than what the scriptures no, say. Absolutely we don't want to not. add to it. Yeah. Absolutely not. Well said. Well, I'm going to ask you to pray in just a minute. I want to share just so briefly a personal uh, testimony of when the scriptures became alive to me in such a way that now, 40 years later, I can remember it. I was 19 years old and I was walking uh, the dog that my family owned at the time, and I can remember the very corner I was on, struggling with temptation in my thought life as a 19 year old. And I remember feeling so defeated. I was reading different books, and I was trying to uh, pray and ask the Lord for answers to how I could uh, have have thoughts that were pleasing to Him and not continually battle uh, thoughts that I knew were displeasing to Him. And the verse came to my mind, Romans 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And it struck me at that moment, and I still remember feeling this very feeling, I don't have to think what I don't want to think. My mind is the Lord's, and I don't have to let thoughts into my head that are not from Him. My mind, He can renew. What a beautiful... It's obvious from that verse, but I didn't see it up to that point. He had to show it to me. And that verse has been a precious, precious safekeeping for my brain. Not that I've lived a perfect thought, thought life since then. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the hope that the Scriptures gives me to have clear-mindedness comes from that verse. And it happened 40 years ago, and it's never changed or gone away or gotten weaker. Not even one iota. Praise God. Yeah. As you're saying that, Brent, I can't, I've just got to add it. Isn't that a beautiful example yes. of not being told how to live, 
but understanding from God's written word how he's honored by how you live. Praise his name. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, thanks for a wonderful conversation, Paul. This is illuminating and helpful. Would you pray for us? I will. Father, we thank you again for the way you tend to all of our needs. Father, thank you that you've given us the written word, your holy word, to refer back to, to go to, to live by, to allow it to be absorbed into our life, to allow it to flow over our life. God, I pray that everyone that's, that's joining with us right now would find a great deal of refreshment, excitement, and encouragement to just immerse themselves in your word for the sake of allowing you to show yourself to them. Father, and out of that, of course, will flow many of the things we've talked about today is related to Christian ethics. But you're such a good God, Father. You've, you've provided for us everything we need, and we don't need additional manuscripts. We don't need archaeology to prove anything. We don't need statistics to show us how this couldn't have happened any other way. We know that your word is true, and we know that you are the God that orchestrated all of it, and we praise you and thank you. Thank you for this precious time together. I pray that you've been glorified. I pray that those that are joining us right now are being built up as they walk with you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for listening to Life in Christ, a podcast of The Landing. If you've got any questions or contributions to make, reach out to us. We'd be glad to hear from you. It's our prayer that these conversations are life-giving to you. Moses said to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 32, 47, This word I speak to you is no idle word, for it is to you your very life. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Life in Christ. This podcast is a ministry of The Landing Church in Duluth, Minnesota. For more resources or information about The Landing, visit www.thelanding.church.